This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Match day four of the NWSL Challenge Cup, and it's another episode of the Equalizer podcast. My name is Dan Lawletta, joined by another first-timer on the podcast, Pardeep Katri. Remember, we do the early game recording before the late game happens, so we don't know what happened in the late game. But in the early game, Utah Royals FC defeated Sky Blue 1-0. Craig Harrington gets his first win as an NWSL head coach. But let me welcome in Pardeep, and if you don't mind, just maybe give the uh, listeners a 30-second summary of who you are and uh, what your background is in soccer. Um, I'm Pardeep Katri, as Dan said, I think at least twice. Um, <laughs> I cover women's soccer. I have done mostly – I was covering Sky Blue for Pro Soccer USA last year. Now I'm writing stuff for The Equalizer. I write about men's soccer, too, on Cartilage Free Captain at the SB Nation block for Tottenham Hotspur. And I watch other soccer, too, and I like other things as well, like you. <laughs> I don't think I prepped you for that little intro, so that's no, good. Not. <laughs> good, good job off the cuff. Um, <laughs> did anybody prep Sky Blue today for their, for their game? It, you know, it's a 10.30 start. I mean, you know, look, great job by the Royals, and we'll get to that. But yeah. I've seen every game in this tournament so far. I thought Sky Blue just played the worst game I've seen of any of the teams. Yeah, honestly, that is exactly what I was thinking while watching it as well. I was Because I remember when the Dash played the other day, and I was very impressed by them. And I, and I saw, I can't remember who, but I saw somebody tweet something like, oh, there are no, like, really easy teams to play in this league anymore. And I was like, yeah, that's really cool. And then this happened. So, I mean, not that I will say Sky Blue is easy to play against, but, well, they didn't have a good game at all today. And it might be really the worst performance we see out of any team in this tournament. I mean, I hope it is because I don't want to see when we get into the knockout round, especially if you get like courage and sky blue. I mean, the courage is best against what sky blue put out today. And that game would get kind of ugly. You know, they had three in the middle and the Royals had five in the middle. And I guess sky blue didn't handle that particularly well. But even still, I thought their back line got caught flat footed too often. You know, Boquette is great for the Royals and she can make a final pass as well as anybody in this league, but the defense looked completely unprepared for it, not to mention they never had a body on her in the midfield, so she basically had free reign to make all these passes, too many turnovers from Sky Blue, and they've now played twice, and they just haven't, I don't feel like, come close to scoring. I did think maybe that was a penalty at the start of the second half. I mean, the ball was like, when they placed the ball for the free kick, it was like almost touching the 
penalty box, but I guess uh, they went with outside the box. But they, I mean, they haven't come close to scoring in two games, and I still feel like their best scoring option is playing right back, and that's a concern for me. Yeah, that's another thing I was thinking during this game. I was like, clearly Freakum prefers to play Midge first there, but she none of this the first game nor the second game none of that has ended the debate at all yeah and beyond that you know in the early part of this game they were down purse aside a few times and Brittany Radcliffe had the ball and purse went over and I thought all she had to do was kind of stand there and get in the defensive stance you know in front her a little bit and just you know not let her around and instead she poked her foot in and and fouled her and I thought that was the sign of a player that maybe wasn't a very, uh, you know, experienced right back. And I get it. The national team wants to see certain players in certain positions. And the club coaches, especially in a league like this, are in the middle because you don't want to tell a player, you know what, I'm not going to help you get on the national team. But at the same time, you know, they don't have Carly Lloyd. They don't have... Mallory Pugh, and I i really thought Evelyn Viennes played well against the rain the other night, and I was excited when she started, but and that could have been me playing up there, and I would have had about the same impact because they just never had the ball in the attack that high to even know whether she played well or not. Yeah, I think you make a good point about Purse and the national team, but I think, look, Megan Rapinoe said on, I think, Julie Fowdy's podcast the other day that she doesn't know if the USWNT is going to play another game this year. I don't, like, I understand in general in more normal times why an NWSL coach might want to be more helpful to a player trying to get on the national team. But I'm just going to say that right now the national team feels sort of irrelevant. I think, I think if you just let her play forward, I guess if you wanted to, I think that Freya Coombe should want to. But if you, if Purse is playing forward, I think at least for now, Vlatko can get over it. I, like I said, I just don't think the national team picture is that relevant right now. Well, and even beyond that, the you know we've got the Olympics. We hope in 2021. I don't think Purse is. I mean, I know Purse is like maybe player 24, 25 right now, but I don't think she's going to play her way onto the Olympic team at this tournament. I mean, she would really have to be spectacular for that to happen. So it seems like we're almost playing now for 2022 and 23 for players like Mitch Purse. And also, you know, no offense to outside backs, but it's a lot easier to find somebody to play right back than it is to find somebody who can put the ball in the net, especially on the Sky Blue roster, because you have Skrosky, who I don't think even played in this one, you know, who I think is better at center back, but has been a serviceable right back in the league now for a couple of years. Um, let, let's talk Royals, because, the you know, we, we should not detract from what the Royals did here, because I thought Craig Harrington came into this tournament in a tough spot. Brand new head coach, team that is probably on paper in the bottom two or three, in the league, you don't want to go and have this tournament go and not win a game. And then you have to go into this like nine month off season without ever having won a game. And you've been on the job for a year. So I think great job bouncing back against Houston to tie that game. But as poor as sky blue was, the Royals were very, very good at what they were trying to do in this game. So credit to them. Bouquet was good. Rodriguez was good. Their defending was good when it needed to be. So kudos all around to Harrington and the Royals. 
yeah, I think they just got, I mean, they basically just got everything right, it feels like. And like you said, obviously that has some responsibility with who the uh, opponent was, but in the end, they just did a, a really good job. I mean, Boquette and A-Rod were the ones that combined for that goal, and part of it is just that, I mean, Boquette is so good. <laughs> I think uh, yeah. that <laughs> sometimes there's just not even more to say, but she's really that good. So that definitely helps them a lot, but really, I... Craig Harrington, I just, I felt like I didn't know a lot about him. I think that's probably true for all of us. But two games in, I've been pretty impressed by what he's put out there, especially today. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, look, they're going to have harder games uh, as this tournament goes on. In fact, their next game, well, their next game is against the rain, and then they play Chicago. And, you know, a game like Chicago could get ugly if they get North Carolina in a knockout round. That game could get ugly. There were ugly stretches against Houston, but I like the fact that they've come out aggressively in both their games. And like we said, they've stuck to their game plan. I like Michelle Maimon's insertion today as one of the wingbacks. And I kind of feel like he's not playing a formation that fits his personnel either. But I hope we at least get one game with Kelly O'Hara in there as one of the wingbacks because she should be really good at that. You know, hopefully whatever injury she has is not enough that uh, the doctors either for the Royals or for the U.S. soccer are going to have her shut it down. But considering what he's had to deal with, and it's been setback after setback. You know, he gets there, Sauerbrunn wants to be traded. Then they get into the preseason and – the preseason stops and they come into preseason for this and Kristen Press decides I'm not going to play. And then Desiree Scott has to go home for personal reasons. And then Kelly O'Hara can't play. So there hasn't been a lot that's gone particularly right so far for Harrington. But, I, you know, I think when the players, when it looks like the players are doing what the coach wants, whether it works or not, I think that's usually a good sign, at least in terms of how the coach is getting across to the team. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm going Back to something else, I would say, I think, I mean, you were talking about how this is a very, it was a very hard task for him to come in. I don't think a lot of people would have been too surprised if it didn't go 100% according to plan. It probably won't. Nothing does. But he, but he's taken this uh, team and he's begun to execute his plan, which, like you say, is probably the sign of something that's working out well enough, at least at the beginning stages. And you talk about how they're going to play Lorraine and the Red Stars next, right? Yep. And That's right. Right, and I think it'll just be interesting to see how this team can stack up against different opponents because clearly they're getting different types of tests and different level, like different strengths of opponents as this preliminary stage before the knockouts go on. But I think as long as you can see those signs of the players and Harrington sort of agreeing with each other and trying to execute that plan, even if, you know, maybe another opponent is tougher and they don't get it uh, uh, totally right, then this, at least this preliminary part of this tournament, will be considered a pretty big success for them. In some ways, I feel like it's already been a success because I would not, if you told me a week ago they were going to be 0 and 5, lose all their games in the preliminary round and then their quarterfinal, I wouldn't have said you were crazy. 
So, and they're going to have tough times because all young teams like this have tough times. By the way, another setback they had was they were supposed to get Marozan and Buhati, yeah. and then we think because of coronavirus, they decided not to come, and now they've done a long-term extension over in Lyon. So, you know, that's another big hit that they took. But that's a sign that at least that management is going to be willing to go out and spend some of that allocation money going forward. Right. Can we also talk about – go ahead. Do you have another thing yeah. out of there? Say that – Regardless of how this tournament ends up at this point, I mean, unless everything falls off the rails completely, it will set up for, I think, a pretty exciting 2021 season when hopefully things are a little bit more normal. Yeah, it'd be nice. It can't be a lot less normal than they've been in 2020. Yeah. So hopefully that does happen. Uh, can we talk a little bit, though, about how good Amy Rodriguez is? We know she can score. She's always been able to score. She'll probably always be able to score. But, you know, her movement off the ball, even her movement when she has the ball at her feet, and it looked pretty hot out there, and she was still running hard until she came off, I think, in the 85th minute. Um, you know, she defends as well as any forward, I think, around. I am thoroughly impressed every time I watch Amy Rodriguez play. I think she should be in the mix to get a call back into the national team. Yeah, I mean, why not? I honestly think that she's been playing some of her best soccer that she has in the last couple of years. And obviously the last couple of years have been a little bit tough for her. But clearly she's, I mean, she's been really, really good these last couple of games. And I'm pretty sure she played a majority of both the last game and this game. And she doesn't seem to have tired out too much yet, which is pretty impressive as well, considering you know, the lack of match fitness and all of the, and the quick succession of games. But yeah, well, I mean, honestly, we'll see about the national team because again, I'm just so not thinking about it at all. Like it just feels like a million years away, but like, why not? I was actually thinking I was happy. She's not in the national team mix because she probably would have been out of both of these games earlier if she was, since the national team has trainers kind of monitoring the minutes of these players. All right, Pardeep, um, we're what? This is match day four, so we're seven games in. Uh, this is your first appearance on the pod. Any other thoughts on the tournament, whether it be how good the courage are, whether you like crowd noise, what's happening with the national anthem protest? Floor is yours to take that anywhere you want to go. Okay. I will very quickly say that I'm glad we saw kids play on the playground today. Okay. Because you said uh, you were, we were talking about Amy Rodriguez, and that reminded me. But we can talk yep. about the uh, anthem protests, and I have—I think we're now like a couple of games into this tournament post the announcement that players can hang out in the locker room if they want during the anthem. And I'm pretty sure we've seen every team since, and I think it's pretty remarkable that no one took that opportunity to go into the locker room and instead teams, uh, almost all of the, uh, the players, including the bench and the coaching staff have been on the field instead and mostly kneeling, even though, of course, some people have taken the choice to stand. So I have found that very interesting and I'm kind of curious as to why that locker room rule exists in the first place considering nobody took it but 
Yeah, it's a good question. I, you know, I think there was so much emotion that came out of the original, uh, the first Red Stars game with Casey Short and Julie Ertz and that kind of powerful moment. And some players were standing that I, I would guess that the league just said, you know what, this is maybe a little bit too much. And if it is too much, then you don't have to be out there. But I agree. As far as I know, everybody's been out there. And if it ha- if anybody hasn't been, it's only one or two people and not enough to really where you would notice that the team is short. And also, not every team, but most teams have put everybody out with the starters, Daniil. Although I think maybe one team or two just had the starters and everybody else stayed on the bench. I, I can't keep up anymore. But Yeah, no. <laughs> but uh... – Right, I think that clearly everybody has made their choice. I mean, I don't actually know if that's true because, what, Aubrey Bledsoe is one player who decided to kneel after standing the first time, and Kelly O'Hara is one player who decided to stand after kneeling the first time. So maybe we can't say everybody's sort of settled on where they're do- what they're doing and how they're doing it, but I just thought it was a really interesting choice that everybody wanted to just be very clear about the choices they were making by standing on the pitch or just not being in the locker room. But in the end, it's, I find it to be just such a fascinating situation that, uh, and I think in the end, it's probably just going to be something that will be part of the past. I really think at this point, the national anthem is going to leave sporting events. Yeah, I think maybe except for the main ones, you know, Super Bowl and WSL championship. That was the last time you heard those two words in the same, those two events in the same reference. But uh, yeah, big events when you have, you know, famous artists singing it, I think we'll still do it, but maybe for a game by game. I'm also curious, you know, if we get all these other sports are able to come back, you know, MLS seems like it's in doubt, but MLS, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, how will, you know, how will the experience be in those sports? You know, will what is happening in the NWSL carry over or will the NWSL, as usual, just fade into the background and the narrative will be completely different in the other sports? I think, and I think the jury's out on that. We'll see. Yeah. Any other parting shots before we exit stage left? I think I'm good. All right. Well, excellent having you on. Good analysis. And hopefully we'll get you back before the end of the NWSL Challenge Cup. That's Pardeep Ketri, Royals FC 1, Sky Blue FC 0, Rain and Dash coming up later. I'll be back with John Halloran to recap that one. You've been listening to the Equalizer podcast. Hey, everybody. Jeff Kasouf here, founder of the Equalizer Thank you for listening to the Equalizer podcast. Wanted to let you know that we also have another podcast that I host called Kicking Back. Kicking Back is a one-on-one style interview type podcast where we talk to players and coaches from the women's game and get to know them a little bit better and talk about some of the moments that define their careers. So after you're done listening to this podcast, which please finish this one first, Head over, check out Kicking Back. Make sure you don't miss it. We've got interviews with some of the top personalities in the game right now and many names that you know from previous years in women's soccer and many more interviews to come. So check us out on any platform. The one you're listening to right now also has Kicking Back. And we'll get you back to the Equalizer podcast now. 
back on the equalizer yes the nightcap match day four in the books houston dash two ol rain zero finder you please check us out on the web at equalizersoccer.com or for premium content equalizersoccer.com slash subscribe and if you like what you hear on the podcast please rate and review the equalizer podcast today thanks again to pardeep katri for her debut on the podcast and you can see some of pardeep's recent work on equalizersoccer.com and at the end of that segment we were quickly touching on the protest pardeep did write on the protest before the tournament began. Not sure after everything that's happened that that article is still timely, but a very good one nonetheless. So we can go find Pardeep's work there. I've got John Halloran back with me uh, as we uh, burn the midnight oil here, as has become a bit of a tradition so far at the NWSL Challenge Cup. Um, John, I thought we saw two really poor teams today, and Rain, OL Rain, were one of them. Credit to the Dash, but I don't know. OL Rain. They're, they've got too much talent to play the way they did tonight, don't they? A hundred percent agree. I mean, if you look at that roster, they have talent on every line. They've got multiple starting quality goalkeepers. They've got three or four players in their back line that you think would start for most teams in the league. Uh, two or three midfielders that you think would start for, for a lot of teams in the league. Some real nice talent up top. There's no way that it should look this bad. They've gone two games now without scoring, and tonight they looked like they had utterly no ideas in attack. It's hard to tell what they're trying to do, and uh, certainly it's it's not being successful, whatever that is. You know, and certainly you can say that it's easy to forget, you know, Fishlock hasn't played, Rapino decided to opt out. It's not like they're at full strength, but the players they have – should be better. And to just build off what you said, sometimes when there's a new team with a lot of new players and a new coach, you can watch them play the first game or two and say, you know what? They're not there yet, but I can see where they're going. I don't see where the rain are going yet. And that's, that's a problem. It is. And, you know, we've talked about this a few times before, but there are coaches that you can see who come in and put, their stamp on a team. We talked a lot last year about Richie Burke coming in. And even though Washington maybe wasn't incredibly successful a year ago, you could see what Burke was trying to do. It looks like through two games here in his second season, you can see what Clarkson is trying to do with Houston. Um, I'm not sure we could say the same and you, you mentioned the earlier game but i'm not sure we could say the same of sky blue or ol rain right now i don't know exactly what they're trying to do um how they're they're trying to build an attack uh what the basic strategy is and maybe for ol rain that's a few players being brought in but you know you've mentioned it before last year between the injuries that they had and between the players that they missed through the World Cup, they didn't have much of a full-strength roster last year. And they still ended up in the playoffs. They still ended up taking North Carolina at extra time in the playoffs. They certainly looked a lot better than what we've seen through two games. I actually thought the two games today were very fascinating mirrors of each other because the Dash and Royals played that wild game and Sky Blue and the Rain played that snoozer of a 0-0 draw. And yeah. in both cases, the team that played the wild game 
really performed a lot better than the team in the 0-0 draw. And neither of those teams, the Rain or Sky Blue, looked like they could do anything in the attack. And I would put Craig Harrington, by the way, on the list of coaches that seems to be putting his imprint on yep. the Royals. Now, they might get slaughtered in their next three games and, you know, it'll, it'll look bad going out the door. But I like what they've done so far. But another thing back to the rain that I noticed in this one was way too much ball watching on defense. I mean, the daily to groom goal in the second half was a fantastic goal to watch. But were there any rain players anywhere close to daily? And were there any rain players anywhere close to groom? And if the cross went over groom, there was another dash player. I'm not sure who it was farther out beyond the post who was open as well. And that's not even a, you know, that wasn't a quick turnover either, you know, Sometimes there's a turnover, you get caught on your heels fine. That was just really, really poor defending by the rain all across the board there. Well, it looked like the runner that came across to the near post dragged Brooks with her. And Smith had decided uh, early on in that play to stay with that wide runner, the one you were talking about, that second runner on that back post. And so that, of course, left Groom in this chasm of space. Um, out front and credit to groom too, because that finish was among the most emphatic uh, that yeah. I think you'll ever see, especially with, with a header. And I don't know if you caught it, but they replayed it later on, maybe during the hydration break. And you, there was audio of groom shouting out in celebration. And that really made me, I don't want to talk about this every night, but that really made me even more so just loathe the, the fake crowd noise because you know, if the crowd is really going crazy, fine. But if you can have an opportunity to hear that kind of celebration, then I'm all for it. And I think Groom and Christy Mewis so far, and it's very early, but we're basically now every team's played twice. Groom and Christy Mewis are the American players that you can look at and say, these are the players uh, that have a bullet next to their name in terms of being impressive. Maybe Amy Rodriguez, too. Not that she needed one. She's already a World Cup champion. And I don't know if her national team time is over and done with or not, but those are the players that have impressed me the most American-wise who are not already on the national team. I think it's nice, too, for Mewis in particular and Daly, I would say, that they've been with this Houston team through some pretty rough patches and being willing, able to stick it out the way they have to have some success. It's nice for them. And then for Groom, too, because, listen, Groom has kind of gotten kicked around the league since her time in Kansas City. Um, I think she's now on her third team since Kansas City and hasn't really found success. So if it comes here, you know, good for her. You know, and I spoke to her, I guess, after the 2018 season. She was part of that one-win Sky Blue team. Right. And she was just mentally beat. I mean, to the point where she, we talked for a little while, and she said, you know what, I would rather not have a story about this because she was just so mentally beat. And you look at that first goal today. She pressures Murphy into turning the ball over. And then that unbelievable back heel finds Mewis wide open. And that's Shea Groom's game is being disruptive. And I don't feel that she was like that. One of the things she actually said to me when we talked in that 18-19 offseason was, I feel like I didn't have any part of my game. I didn't even get enough yellow cards. Kind of meaning like (laughs) she even got like her aggression taken out of her so i thought that was notable and i like the way the dash defended it's my favorite way to watch a team defend if they can do it which is not like a full-on press where you're just running at players but you just position yourself 
in a manner that you don't give the opposition back line any lanes. And I thought the dash did that very well. And I thought they were willing to, at times, move on any rain player that had the ball at their feet and that the rain players were not prepared for it at all. And it was almost like they weren't communicating and nobody ever knew when there was a player coming up their backside. It made me curious to think back on that first game too, when the dash didn't pressure through the first 30 or so minutes. And I wondered if this was something that Clarkson had intended in that first game to wait. Maybe he was worried about being able to press over the the length of a game, and maybe they were saving it for after the hydration break. But right now it's a day it, game in the sun too. Right, and but something has clicked since that hydration break because uh, they did not look good, particularly through most of that first half against Utah. But then the hydration break uh, break hit. They got that equalizer back, and then since then they have been absolutely rolling. And um, that high press that you mentioned, I think, has really been key to that. You can see the way that their front three or even four, when Groom is part of that, are just hunting the ball and disrupting their opponent's ability to play it out of the back. And that is helping create some of these chances. And if Groom is going to be this good or even close to this good, the Dash win that trade easily, getting Groom and Oyster for Amber Brooks and Sophia Huerta, because Oyster, I think, is far better center back than Amber Brooks. And even if Groom and Huerta are on even terms, there's just that national team thing that just kind of follows Huerta around. I think if those two players are even, I'd rather have Shea Groom, just for the fact that it feels like Huerta has left her last two stops with just a little bit of drama around them. But at this point, I mean, that's an easy win for the Dash. Well, mentioning Oyster in there, I think bringing Oyster and Katie Naughton in has allowed them to solidify the back. And we, we've always known that Houston has had attacking talent, whether that's Daly or Mewis, or even when they had Huerta and Watt and some of the players that aren't there anymore, they had that attacking talent. But the fact that they just bled goals the way they did um, can be disheartening. And the fact that they have Oyster and Naughton back there now is that new center-back combination. They've got Campbell behind them. I think that allows them to play with a little bit more confidence, probably allows them to press a little bit higher up the field and do some things that they haven't been able to do in the past. Now, that being said, they had problems with set pieces against the Royals. I think Christy Mewis was on pregame and mentioned that a little bit, said everyone lost sleep over the set pieces. They didn't really have to deal with that in this game. And, you know, you can argue that they've played two of the three weakest teams in the league right now, or at least of the teams that are in this bubble playing this tournament. So the competition is going to get a lot stronger. So let's not get too caught up in the fact that they have four points and that them and Utah, I mean, they're tied for second right now. But, you know, you can only beat the teams that are put out in front of you. So strong job in that regard. But didn't you watch this game and think, wouldn't it be really nice if there actually was a ninth team that was getting sent home, but obviously we all want Orlando to be there, but it feels, it, you know, it just feels like, all right, well, the dash and the Royals are at near the top of the standings and the red stars and thorns are on the bottom. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's not even like the, it's not even like the thorns will have to go to Utah or Houston because everyone's playing in the same stadium. Anyway, there are probably different ways we could have arranged this. We could have had maybe a, an early group stage and a later group stage or something like that. But I'll be honest with you. Considering everything that, you know, 
personally I, we've had to endure over the past few months, I'll take anything right now. I would no, take that's, that's definitely true. I would take broadcast reserve games right now. You get and you got fireworks going off all around the stadium. <laughs> You know, yeah. and Mike Watts was pretty on top of it because, you know, that crowd noise, their players are not hearing that noise that we're hearing. So they were probably literally just hearing fireworks going off all around them. And if my neighborhood is any example, this was the last Fourth of July that I can remember, maybe in my whole life. I guess people were bored and maybe less people are out. So more people are doing fireworks. I don't know, but very, very surreal um, experience there. Uh, rain, sky blue. Real problems? I mean, I think the Rain are a much better roster than Sky Blue at this point, but, I mean, are these are they going to get better before the end of this tournament? I don't know. I would, you know, both of them are teams that I'm, like I said earlier, I just don't know what they're trying to do. And if you don't know what they're trying to do, if it's not evident, you wonder if the players understand what the larger concepts are, um, or if they're capable of, of converting those concepts on the field, because it's not evident from a third person standpoint to see what either of them's trying to do. The only, in fact, the only bright spot I would say with, with the rain and the night game, I thought Mo Mickey had a couple of nice moments. Yep. She, uh, she had one ball where she played into Jenkins and Jenkins, kind of inexplicably turned the ball away from goal, which I didn't really understand. And then Mo Mickey had a nice service in the second half, which looked like it it might be dangerous. But overall, I just don't know what the rain were trying to do. And Jenkins had some space on the left side, but really didn't do, I didn't think enough with it, considering how much space she had from time to time. And the other troubling thing, and you can jump back to that if you want, they rain were kind of on top of this game for the first 10 minutes. And then the dash scored, and that was it. It was kind of like Orlando last year, where you know they would play decent, and then they would go down a goal, and then that would be the end. They would have no chance to come back from that. I'm kind of surprised you could see the first ten minutes because the first ten minutes have kind of made me nauseous during these night games, trying to watch through this glare slash green screen. I can't <laughs> tell who's who. I can't see the far side of the field. So uh, credit to you if you came up with anything from that first 10 minutes. You know, we talked about this off air a couple of days ago, but that first night, I think, with Chicago, Washington, it must have been cloudy. And they fooled us into thinking we could see the, the games yeah. when they start. And then all the games after that have been sunny. I've seen worse, though. I've seen worse. Remember the Breakers when they played it? Yep. Um, yep. They had It wasn't the far side. There was like the like the right-hand side on yeah. like to the left of your screen, the near side you couldn't see much. It was sunny and whatnot. So anyway, rain um, not looking good. No goals for the rain, no goals for sky blue. The nightcap tonight goes to the dash. 2-0, Christy Mewis with a goal, Shea Groom with a goal, clean sheet for Jane Campbell. A little bit of a light week coming up. We've got games on Wednesday and then – uh, a little bit of another break to kind of make up for the fact that they had to tweak the schedule when Orlando dropped out. But we'll be back with more podcasting after match day. Actually, you know what? We've still got one more day to go before that kicks in. So my apologies for that. I'm losing my mind a little bit here. Yeah, two games tomorrow. We have, uh, what is it, North Carolina versus Chicago in the morning game and Portland, Washington in the night game. Yep, good ones at that. So after that, then it'll be a slow week, but we will be back to recap those Sunday games, which will be match day five 
as teams start to get to the back end of the preliminary stage. So, John, thanks again for staying up with me. And uh, for John Halloran and Pardeep Katri, my name is Dan Lawletta. Thanks again for listening to the Equalizer podcast. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.